Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how you doing? Dabo episode. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about Dabo Sweeney's interesting comments. Um, I got to put a timer on because we were talking yesterday and you said, I'm going to spend 30 minutes on Dabo and we can't spend 30 minutes on Dabo. So I don't know, maybe it's... Yeah, might put give a you, timer on because I, I might give you six minutes or something, but we can't go 30 minutes. But So we're going to talk about Dabo, how that might affect recruiting. And then after we're done with that, we're going to talk about how Clemson just got a commitment from a top 60 national quarterback. So maybe it won't affect uh, Clemson's recruiting. Uh, and that quarterback is from Birmingham. And I did a little research about in-state quarterbacks not going to Alabama, which I found a little interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about the ramifications of Josh Conerly's surprising, I guess that's the right word, commitment to Oregon. We'll have some mailbag questions, and I really, really like my trivia question this week, Ari. I think you yeah, got Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Mitch, what, what, what I'm starting to realize is that the further into the calendar year we get, the easier the episodes are going to be. Like, like there's so much like natural stuff to just talk about now. Yes. And if you've been listening to Stars Matter uh, the last few months, I thought we've done a pretty good job of weathering the boredom storm. <laughs> yeah. But like now when things start ramping up and – uh, you know, there's just natural occurrences that are happening in the form of commitments and Dabo talking. Like it's going to be a pretty good, uh, a pretty good run of shows here. I think for the next few months and, and into the signing day period, which will be here before we know it. Yeah, I, I'm um, glad you didn't call our shows boring before we recorded them. No, I don't think they were boring. I thought it was harder to scrap something interesting. There was there required more prep. I thought like the shows were fascinating. Just, if Dabo would have just said what he said this week, every week it'd be easy. Yes. And I think that it's funny because. Like, I'm going to put a timer on this. Like, I'm not that fired up about it. I just find it interesting. So we're going to have, like, a nice measured discussion about, like, what you think about it. And I'm going to try to do the thing that I – or try not to do the thing that I always do, which is freak out and then, like, have to explain what I meant in the next episode because people misunderstood me because I was too fired up. Okay. Well, let's let's backtrack. And, and you can read Ari's uh, – I thought you handled it very well in your mailbag, which Thank was you. published uh, yesterday morning. Here are the quotes that got you especially fired up. And it's uh, you can check out the interview with Chris Lowe um, from ESPN.com. It's up there. And I guess the question was about uh, NIL and other things. And here's Dabo. And then I'll hand it over to you, Ari. Well, okay. Nick Saban is 70 years old. I'm 52 years old. None of us set markets on what we do. We live in a capitalist society. The head of Delta probably makes a lot more than the people who are checking your baggage in. But those people are as vital as anyone. None of us set markets on what we do. It's a free market we live in, in anything. It's just that our jobs are so visible and so public. I can tell you this. None of us get into coaching to make money. But I don't apologize for being successful. One thing I'll take issue you with. You have to say the question. Like it was in regards to whether or not. Okay. Do you like understand? What yeah. Sorry. Do you understand? By the way, I, th I, I disagree. I think the pilots are more important than the baggage you know, I'm, I'd rather they be more qualified. But um, do you understand when people say, well, coaches like Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban are making in the $10 million range, why shouldn't the athletes be able to profit even before they get to campus? And that was his answer. And I, again, I thought you did a really good job with this, but uh, go. Yeah, I there's like nine different angles to how to how to take this. And, and let me first off start by saying that I actually think that Dabo Sweeney is is a good person. Like, I don't think that he has ill will or he's being selfish or or that he, uh, you know, is trying to be as greedy as possible and, and keep the players that are, are playing for him down. That's not I don't think that at all. So before we get into the into the discussion, and I agree with you, I want to be clear that, like, I actually think that Dabo's got the kids at heart here. Um, and I do think that Dabo Sweeney is the coach who kind of is the voice for the fans who are afraid NIL is going to ruin the sport. So if you have a coach at a powerhouse program who wants to articulate these things in terms of his fear of what NIL will do, and he's if you go read that full interview with, with Chris Lowe, he did get into the idea of too many cooks in the kitchen and the wrong people leading the way for some young people. The portal is popping because people are trying to get paid all the things that are happening in college football. And I think there's a lot to, to be said about the validity of that. Um, so the thing that I will say about Dabo Sweeney is that, um, and I think that even he would probably admit this, he doesn't say things the right way. And when you don't say things the right way, your point doesn't count anymore. 
because people lose track of what you're trying to say and they fixate totally on what you are saying. You can't say so, 90% right. You've got to say 100%. You got to you can you so like this Delta um airlines comparison is very interesting because the bag checkers are probably the lowest paid. I mean, I don't know anything about airline infrastructure financially, but the the uh, assumption and the implication is that the baggage people are the lowest paid and the lowest totem pole employees at Delta Airlines. So you're living in a world now where coaches are making in between seven and eleven million dollars a year and even more, depending on what program you're at. And the players that you're coaching, the ones that the people are rooting for and are on television and are actually the entertainment product, um, are not the baggage people. Like Trevor Lawrence, when he was the quarterback at Clemson, was probably the CFO of the program. And like if you go through college football, I think there's a case to be made that there are certain five-star prospects on teams and especially at the quarterback position that are actually more valuable than the head coach. Sure. You know, that's not, I'm that not talking about season, Dabo. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not talking about Dabo Sweeney or, or Nick Saban, the guys that have won national titles and built programs. But you can't compare high-level athletes to baggage people at Delta. And and like I think what he's trying to say is, hey, I'm 52 or whatever, how old he is now. It took years for me to to find a passion, to to pour myself into that passion and for the the benefits financially to come because of that. And I think that's a nice, nice point. Like when I first started in journalism, I was making $17,000 a year and I had to work at Allstate to pay my shitty rent. So like, I understand like it doesn't come immediately. Um, but that said, I think that there is a miscommunication or a, a thought process that's wrong uh, about, about college football recruits and college football players. And that's if you are a player in the high school level, Mitch, and you are good enough to earn an offer from Alabama or Clemson, you are in the top 1% of football players on the face of the planet. So I think age isn't necessarily as important as it might have been in like in older views because if you ascend to the top 1% of your field, then you should be compensated for that. So viewing a 17-year-old kid who is a four-star prospect from whatever part of the country you want to assign him to doesn't mean that he's just a child that isn't entitled to money. He has already ascended and put in the work necessary to be compensated for his skill set. So um, to me, that's the whole thing with Dabo. It's like if you want to be worried about where NIL is going to take college football, you're more than welcome to do that. I, I think that kids should be paid and be compensated for their hard work. But I also do worry when you start seeing the $8 million deals flowing around of like, are we just going to be talking about bidding wars for the next 10 years? And is that how college football rosters are going to come together? That, that's scary. It's weird. We're in a very delicate and evolutionary time in the sport. But if you say what he said, we're talking about that and we're not talking about the merits of what he was trying to say, which I think is a very huge distinction. And if you're an employee of a university who's making $10 million a year, I think you need to be more careful. And and here's the thing too, and I don't want to go down this road because it's it's a very sensitive road, but I want to allude to it so people know that I'm thinking about it. You're also talking about a profession um, that's predominantly white in terms of head coaches and players on these teams that are predominantly black who might not have the means to support themselves the way that you know a normal young professional would. So you also have to be very careful about uh, about how you speak about those types of things because it's already tough enough that they're unpaid labor. Um, if you pretend or don't pretend, if you say that you don't feel like they're entitled to compensation, there's this mentality that somebody could pick up on of just saying, you can't say that about unpaid labor. And it's like, not just football players, just in general. So, and they're putting their bodies at risk every day. They're taking blows to the head in practice. Like they are, they probably earn their paycheck more than I would. You know what I mean? Like they're, so not probably they do. So they, we just like there's a lot of things that we have to ward through here in a rational and, and calm way um, when you really want to get to the bottom of it. I agree. Well said. Um, and I think this, you know this is a recruiting podcast, and the reason we brought this up is because I think the you, you had a question in the mailbag: Will this affect Dabo's ability to recruit young athletes? I my guess is not really. Um, I, th there might be a few families that take issue with it, which, you, you know, some schools that negatively recruit, um, bring this up, but I, I don't see this really impacting. Well, recruiting. it's funny because they did sign a top one or get a commitment from a top 100 quarterback. 
from Alabama literally hours after two days after he said it yeah. and hours after the story ran. That's what we're going to talk about. But next, here's, yeah. here's the thing that I think is more important. And I don't even remember if I addressed this in the mailbag. So this is why we're going to talk about it on the podcast, Mitch. Does what he said have an impact on their recruiting? I think I would agree with you in that it's no, because people say things, there's clarifications, there's personal conversations that happen during recruiting, but you know what does impact his recruiting? his implementation or his reluctance to implement a reliance on NIL sales pitches because he doesn't like it. And I have talked to multiple coaches um, at the high school level in the last few weeks who have said that Clemson is amongst the best recruiting staff in America, but they lost out on players at the end of last year's cycle because they de-emphasized the importance of recruiting and they're recruiting against big time SEC programs that will tell you that you're going to make five grand a week coming to a dinner every Sunday night. So if you want to be, that's if you got paid five grand to go to a big Sunday dinner. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, what that's what we're talking about here. If you're if you're a, a five star prospect and the and the best player on a you know program X is you know Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. I mean, that's what people the donors will pay to 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 see you. So like, and then if you're worth that, you're worth that. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but what I will say is that Clemson will lose recruiting battles for top tier players because the bottom line is I don't care how much you, you, you value a family atmosphere or getting your education or doing all these things. If you're going to a good football program, that's going to offer you $5,000 a week versus a program that's not. And they're both playing at the highest level and preparing you for the NFL draft. Who do you think is going to win? Right, right. So, Clemson has is a great place to go to school and a great place to play football, but there are other many other comparable school. Right, there's yeah. it, Clemson doesn't stand out. It's like it's not in the SEC, but it's an SEC type environment. So you can go to Georgia, you can go to Alabama, you can go to Auburn, you can go to Florida. It it really doesn't. You know, if it's not going yeah, to play it, it that game, out. they're going to lose. It stands out, Mitch. But I think what you're saying is it yeah. stand. It doesn't stand out from Georgia, right? All those, or Alabama, right? Like all, the top tier, exactly. And yeah. like, what's Clemson trying to do right now? Beat those They're trying teams. to maintain their their footing amongst those teams. And last year they had a down year, and I guess ten and two is is a down year uh, for them, and that's an accomplishment and kind of a testament to what Clemson is as a program. But you got to think about the bigger picture over the course of the next five or six years. If Dabo is reluctant to get this thing implemented and to start selling it like he's selling everything else in this program. He will lose players. He will not sign top five classes, and Clemson, as a result of it, will be worse. So are his quotes that are on our website right now going to ruin Clemson's football program? Absolutely not. Will a reluctance to evolve, both in the transfer portal, which was another topic of conversation in that story that I encourage you all to go read, um, and and dragging your feet on the importance of NIL and acknowledging, you know, you know, and not just acknowledging it, emphasizing it in the recruiting process? Then, you know, I could see a world where Clemson starts to fade back into the pack and signing classes at number eight, the number 12 and number 14. And the next thing you know, they're back to what they were. So, you know, in my opinion, and I've watched this happen in, in person, building a program is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing to do in like coaching in, in all sports. But I think there's a case to be made that maintaining it is even harder. So, like, I'm on high alert for Clemson in terms of what they're going to do to maintain their their stature in the sport. And if I were invested in this program financially, I would consider moving my money. Like, it's like if you, like, look about, like, the stock market. Yeah, and it's easy to sit here and say, oh, they won 10 games last year. What You know, great program. In a down year, they win 10 games. But not all 10-game winning teams are the same. They were not a good team last year. I don't – they played better, I guess, towards the end of the year. They beat Georgia Tech by six. They beat Boston College by six. They beat Syracuse by three, Florida State by 10, Louisville by six, and then Iowa State by seven. They, they were so far from being a team that could compete with the big boys. Now, I, someone can counter that and say, hey, they lost by seven to the national championship team, Georgia, in the opener. I get that. But if you look at their entire season – Yes, they won 10 games, but they were not anywhere close to an elite Let me just say it this way. If you have a coach who's saying, oh, well, we won 10 games last year, that's the beginning of the end. 
Because let me tell you something. If Clemson has the next 10 years, eight of their 10 seasons are 10 and two seasons, that is a freaking disaster. <laughs> so I don't want to like take away the fact that they won 10 games last year, but that's not the benchmark that Clemson's trying to reach. Yeah. They're trying to reach college football playoff appearances and national championships and 10 and two doesn't get you there. So if, if you want to say, Hey, we, we won 10 games and pat yourself on the back, go ahead. But that's the type of thing. Like in, in the stock market, what I was just going to say is every quarter they have a, a, a earnings release, as you all know, and they tell you what they're doing from a financial standpoint. You can see it in black and white paper. Based on what I've seen from Clemson right now, if that's their earnings report, that would make me want to sell my stock and move my money into another program. That's all I'm saying. So will I be wrong? Who knows? I've been wrong before. But if I were a Clemson fan, I would be on high alert about where things are headed right now. And that player that they did get was uh, Christopher Vizina, Christopher Vizina, a quarterback from Birmingham, I think number 52 nationally. So you know, not not a five-star, five but not that far off. Basically a five-star. Yeah, he's a guy yeah. that they've been – so they've circled for, 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 you know, I think the last few months. Um, so I, I was curious, Ari. I, I you know, here, here's a top 50-ish kid from in-state. Just their second commitment, too, just yeah, so you know. And we've talked a lot about how good of a year this is in the state of Alabama. How often has the top quarterback in the state of Alabama gone to Alabama? I looked up every year from 2002, what we call the modern era of recruiting, through 2022. How many times do you th- – this is not our trivia question. Just how many times do you think Alabama has signed the top player, the top quarterback in its own so state? So in 20 years? Yeah, so 21 years. So in some years that, that player is a top 700 players, and some years that player is a top 200 okay. player. I would say three. Who's the last one? You're, it's Am two. Am I correct? No, it's two, oh. but you're close. Who's the last one? I couldn't even tell you. Okay. Now, here it's not, not a trick. It's maybe two and but a half. But I want to know the answer. Jake Coker – doesn't count because he signed with Florida State. He was the top quarterback in 2011. Yeah. A.J. McCarron in 2009 was the last in-state quarterback, number 87 nationally. Before that, it was 2005, John Parker Wilson. Now, here are the – I'll go I'll go to the top 300 guys. The, the, you, you wouldn't expect Alabama to sign a top 700 guy, right? You'd maybe a top 300 quarterback or not, yeah, not I mean, even. But Alabama was different in 2006 too, yeah. so that's kind of a tricky yeah. question because the current right. Alabama, no. Right. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go over some of the more highly recruited guys. Um, Bo Nix in 2019, number 33 nationally, went to Auburn. Um, the year before that, Jack West, number 235, went to Stanford. 2013, Jeremy Johnson – Number 164 went to Auburn. 2012, Jameis Winston. Number 16 went to Florida State. Uh, I barely remember this name. 2006, Neil Caudill went to Auburn. Number 139, Jamarcus Russell in 2003 went to LSU. So I, I, I was surprised by this, but not shocked. So then I thought, what states are similar to Alabama? Because I wanted to see how rare is this that schools in this type of state's sign or don't sign the top quarterback in their in their in their home state. I zeroed in on Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Louisiana as the states most similar to Alabama as far as I think that's fair. As far as recruiting. Yes. You know, Georgia doesn't count. They've got too many good quarterbacks. Texas obviously California. Very consistent volume, not usually off the reservation in terms of high numbers. Yes. I think those are the perfect comparisons. Okay. Ohio. Last time Ohio State has signed the top rated quarterback in its own state. Was it Burrow? Yes. Joe Burrow, number 280 in 2016. Pennsylvania. When's the last time Penn State signed Oh, God. I don't even know if they ever have. And I asked Matt Brown, our uh, resident Penn State expert on our editorial staff, and he he, it took him a while, but he got it. Paul Jones, uh, number 149 in 2010. Now, LSU's a little different. They signed Walker Howard this past year, who did, I don't know, did he end up being a five-star? He was at one point. Uh, He might not, but... Um, Top 50. He was at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And then TJ Finley the year before that. So LSU has signed the top two I'm guys. actually shocked to hear that Louisiana has a direct funnel to uh, – Walker Howard was number 41 overall, which is seven spots out of the top – or out yeah. of the five-star. But yeah, um, fifth-rated quarterback, so he's basically that. But yeah, no, I mean, LSU, if you would have like given me a fake trivia question of which school has signed – because Louisiana has a really, really good uh, penchant for top-rated quarterbacks too – you know, there's a certain quarterback in the class in Louisiana right now that's probably not going to go to LSU. But are we going to uh, mention? Are we going to go two podcasts without mentioning his name? Don't say it. Okay, I, I haven't mentioned his name. We went the we went over an hour last week. 
We didn't mention his name. I think that there's going to be a lot of talk about that person in the next few months, depending on how things go with his recruitment. So we're going to try to get through shows without waterboarding everybody that might not be interested in that with the same topic over and over again. So I yeah. hope you appreciate the hope you appreciate the effort on our end. Yeah, and, and I I need to uh, thank I, his his Twitter handle is I write wiggle. I think his name is Brian, who chimed in when when me you and. And Andy could not think of this name of the school that flirted with uh, Coach Taylor in Friday Night Lights. It was TMU. Was it? it was TMU. TMU. Yes. Okay. And, yeah. So I guess that would be Texas Methodist University. Um, so uh, some commitments. Ohio State. Good week for Ohio State. Last, uh, they got Malik Hartford, a in-state safety, number 205 nationally. And then yesterday they went down to Florida, got Mark Fletcher, kind of a big bruising running back, top 150 player. Uh, I know you and Bill on uh, your podcast, 46 with A&B, talked about the significance of keeping a guy like Malik Hartford in state, which you know you would expect them to do, but that's kind of kind of supplements their class. They, they can go nationally and get the top 100 guys, but they need to get those top 250 guys in state. Yeah, well, especially considering the fact that Ohio is very, very light this year. So if there are a few players in the state of Ohio that that are in the top 200 or um, you know, can give you that Ohio foundation in your recruiting class, you got to get them. And Ohio State has never struggled to get that type of player into their class. And, uh, you know, especially like if you're a four-star prospect in Ohio that has an Ohio State offer, you're going there nine out of ten times. So, um, yeah, it's a good it's a good get. And I know Mark Fletcher, the, the running back, who, was he from Florida? Yeah. Yeah, Fort Lauderdale American Heritage, great high school program and top 155 player uh, nationally and – had an Alabama offer and all sorts of things. So that's Ohio State being Ohio State. And I'm very curious, because we talked about this on the last show, like where Ohio State is going to end up. Because right now, they have seven commitments, and only one of them is a top 100 player, which I find to be mildly alarming for them. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, top 100 players, Texas A&M got three commitments in the last three days. Yesterday, Bravian Rogers, I believe, was the first top 100 kid in their class so far, a cornerback. They got a punter the day before that. And then just before we started to record today on Wednesday, uh, Javion Thomas, a cornerback from South Oak Cliff High School. Is that, that's Dallas, right? Dallas, yep. Yeah, uh, your neck of the woods there. So uh, three commitments in three days. So for- is the punter. Don't don't sleep on the punter. I went to the same high school as Quinn Ewers. Oh, hey, there you go. Um, Penn State got a Quarterback Marcus Stokes, uh, number 326 overall, number 17 from Florida, Ponte Vidre Beach, Florida. Auburn got a safety, top 200 safety from Fairburn, Georgia. Obviously, that's a place where Georgia, uh, I mean, Auburn likes to commit. And I just found this funny because I was going through all the commitments and all these top 200 guys. Wake Forest got commitments from two players who were unranked nationally and you know, they'll probably win 10 games. Just that's what Dave one, one, does. One popped up into the top 1,000. Uh, okay. <laughs> but one thing that I, uh, want you to mention too uh is that penn state got damian robinson in the portal oh yeah and that's a five-star transfer who signed with maryland uh last year i think or two years ago these classes really run together but didn't stay at maryland and now is going to penn state which i think is a huge pickup yeah well that transitions i wanted i just a note this isn't a recruiting note but brandon jacobs we talked about on slack the other day a kid that you wrote about when he committed to florida state and then he decommitted to Michigan. He flipped to Michigan. Jennings. 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 Oh, I have Jacob. Yeah. Brandon Jacobs, former former uh, Giants running back. And then he signed with Maryland, uh, basically right before signing day last year. One of the three top 100 linebackers that left Maryland, who signed in 2021, transferred to Kansas State. Announced yesterday he's leaving Kansas State. I think he was enrolled in for spring. So he's had committed to three colleges. And then now is going to be on his third college once. I don't know the answer to this, but if you transfer once, now you get to play immediately at your next spot. Yeah, you're supposed to have to sit out. What if you transfer during the offseason a second time and then you have to sit out a year per the old rule, but then you transfer again before you have to play that season? So if you transfer in for if your second transfer is a transfer into spring and then you transfer out to a new school before the end of spring, the way that Brandon just did. Do you have to sit out? Like, I think, if, your new, I think it, once you enroll at your new school, that starts your clock, if that answers your question. So, like, like is I, he, is he, like, so if he goes and plays at, I don't know, BYU next or whatever, that's just the first school that popped into my head. He only has to sit out one year at BYU, too? Yeah, I think he's, he, I don't think he'd be eligible for the so 2020 20 season. 
unless he had some sort of petition, some hardship. That's a, that is a transfer loophole. That's interesting. Wait, why? I he, wasn't following. Why is it a loophole? He has to sit out Because he like, transferred at Kansas State, kind of looked around. I'm, I don't like it here. And then bounced. And now he can bounce somewhere new. And he only has to sit out a year that he was going to have to sit out anyway. He wasn't going to have to sit out. It's a free transfer. He wasn't going to have to sit out. He oh, transferred from just, Mar- oh, Maryland sorry, to Kansas I, State. Yeah. So oh, tra- my bad. Yeah. My bad. Uh, okay. I was confused because in my head when he flipped on signing day yeah that was a transfer that was no, kind of no, no, no. a transfer in my head but i forgot that it was during signing yeah day. no three the, the pre-signing point is, is that the flipped. man yeah. yeah the man has has flipped more than an ihop pancake so i hope that for him uh that he finds his spot because i think that once you start it's like he's already burned his one time his one time transfer and now he's already he didn't even play the year and i wonder like now he has to sit out a year now i I would think if he enrolled at Kansas State. But what if going, it, what if he hadn't stayed through the season yet? I don't know the rule to that. I, I Like I said before, I'm pretty sure it's once you enroll at a school, it starts your clock at that school. Like you can't. Okay. You know, so he can, burned his one-time I, free I believe, transfer for three weeks in spring in Manhattan, Kansas? I believe. I believe so. We can we can look into that. Yeah, so I wanted yeah. to talk a little bit about Auburn. Um, a Why? program that, you know, it's considered sort of a dumpster fire from afar. It has been. It's a program that has really, really highs, uh, really big highs and really big lows in the past two decades. You know, they've won national championships. They've gone to 0-8 in the SEC. And I thought of this when they landed that, uh, you know, Terrence Love, the top 200 player. Last year's Auburn class was ranked number 20 nationally. They've had 13 straight top 20 classes. Last year's class would have ranked third in the Big 12 in Pac-12 and fourth in the Big 10 in the ACC. Their average rank in the last 10 years is 11.1. And I guess my point is, like, for being such a dumpster fire, it's still a school that, you know, I don't know if we want to say they recruit themselves. I don't themselves. know if they're a dumpster fire for 10 years. They're just a dumpster fire well, right now. There's been stretches, periods yeah. before this. So it just shows you, that it, I guess, the staying power, the, the brand that Auburn has, that through all of this up and down, all the coaches they've different had, the fire, hiring and firing coaches, I, Auburn's still a pretty pretty powerful brand. Now, they're not recruiting oh, at sure, the elite sure. level that's going to win national championships, sure. but they're, it's, it's a good brand. Yeah, I I think the whole hallmark of Auburn football has always been inexplicably winning one national championship every seven years and the rest of it being like a roller coaster, right? So I don't know if this is just a dip in the roller coaster and they're going to start climbing the ladder again. You know that clinking noise when you're going up a roller coaster? Click, 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 click. Do you like roller Maybe coasters, that? by the way? Um, I went on... <laughs> I had a very funny memory about something that happened on the Las Vegas roller coaster that I was on a few years ago. Uh, but I don't think that's the only roller coaster that I've been on, the one at New York, New York, and Vegas in like 10 years. I was not always. that I don't like them. I just have been an adult, and I'm not an, an adult amusement park person. I know there are a lot of people who are. Like my but my best friend in the entire world lives in L.A., and he like has a season pass. I thought Bill Landis was your best friend. Yeah, I've got like three, and it's I hard know. for me to parse through them. I was. Uh, and he. But like I, I don't know. I don't understand people who like without kids go to Six Flags a lot. Well, I went to uh, I. I was always scared of roller coasters growing up, and I used to go in New Jersey. Used to go to Great Adventure all the time, and I would just like on school trips, I would be the kid who would sit off to the side while everyone else went on roller coasters. That so, does not surprise me. Part all. what? Are you, what's that? What being to a wuss to go on a roller coaster? <laughs> of course, that's that's just because I'm scared yeah. of bears and roller coasters. So yeah. when we got married, uh, part of our honeymoon was in Sanibel Island, Florida, and then we went to Disney World for three for three days. And I decided, you know what? I'm 26 years old. I'm married. I'm gonna go on a roller coaster. So Your honeymoon I, was at Disney World. We went for Sanibel Island and then Disney World. So uh, see, I'm gonna be offensive, but like that strikes me as odd. It, no, it is. It is kind of, kind of odd. We just, I'd, I'd never been and. If my parents are listening, I used to always get on my parents for like everyone used to go to Disney World from like and I my parents never took me to Disney World. So it was sort of I don't know, you can read into that what you want there. So we went to Disney World and I went on what's the uh, Space Mountain. It was the first roller coaster I've ever been on and it was pretty cool. I got to admit. So So my uh mentor at cleveland.com was uh a man named Doug Maurice, yeah. and he and his wife are obsessed with disney world um and they go that's weird. with and without their kids that's and i always used to make fun of them and said that that was weird but i've never been to disney world so maybe i'm just not getting it but i kind of feel like that is a like a place that i'm going to take my daughter but i've never been an adult destination on my list and maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe i would but like the idea of riding a roller coaster as a 34 year old man just strikes me as strange 
because it's like it's a for, it's for children, right? So I mean, I, I know mean, they've got I think big thrill. Some people love the thrill of it, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm I don't want right to go wrong. careening just, off the roller coaster, and you know, I'd rather. Like, be, I can't wait to take my daughter to Disney World. Don't take like, her too young. Enjoy. Don't take her when she's too young. Gotta no, I won't. I, I want her to know who who Mickey Mouse is before we go. Um, but it just has never been a a desire of mine to be like like my friends. Like, I'm going to Six Flags today because he had a day off in the middle of the week. I'm like, you're just going to go to Six Flags alone, like a loser. Like, it doesn't make any sense. To that me. is kind of weird. <laughs> All right, um, and he'd get really fired up if you heard this too, because okay. he gets really mad when I make. Is fun this of the pirate guy? Guy's scared no, of pirates. No, that's a different guy. Okay, um, Josh Connerly. I would say surprised. I was surprised. Most people there was crystal balls for USC. Some rep, very reputable recruiting analysts. We're talking about the five star offensive lineman from Seattle, who was the last player standing, the last five stars, basically the last top three hundred, top hey, five hundred players. Yeah. Can I interrupt you for one second? Of course. And I know you hate when I do this. No, it's okay. But you know how you can't say Mario Crystal Ball correctly? Yeah. From now on, just say Crystal Balls. Okay. Mario Crystal Ball. Okay. Say Crystal it. Ball. Mario Crystal Ball. See what I'm saying? That's Thank a good you. trick. Because it sounds, you sounds correct now. All Mario right, thanks, Crystal buddy. Ball. Thanks, buddy. All right. So Josh Connerly um, committed to Oregon over USC and Washington, although Washington really wasn't in it in the mix. I think Miami with Mario Crystal Ball made a late push. How'd I do there? That was perfect. I, the look on your face, you're, you're proud of yourself that you've helped me. I think. This I mean, is, it's like, because it's like funny because it yeah. sounds just like Crystal Ball. Exactly. He was, that guy was. That guy was put on earth to record. But I feel like it'll help you not get tongue-tied. Because yeah. it's like, it's not a hard name to pronounce. I think you just get tongue-tied. Right. Something. Well, I just start thinking about it. I start laughing, and then I'm going to screw it up on the podcast. Um, so Christian Capel, our Washington writer, wrote a, wrote a good column on this about the ramifications, implications around the Pac-12. And it was sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good for Oregon, obviously getting a five-star offensive lineman. And really good for the Pac-12 to keep that guy in the Pac-12 footprint. The bad for USC you, Lincoln Riley is going to get a lot of great players. He already has got a lot of great players, but they are not going to take that step forward. You are not going to win your $1,000 bet with Andy Staples until they start getting elite offensive linemen. And here was a time when a case where we thought that they had a elite offensive lineman. So bad for them. And Christian put the ugly for Washington. Again, we've been over this a lot. Three five-star players from Wash, from Seattle in the 2021 20, class. They only got one legacy uh, Sam Heward, and they didn't get Josh Connerly. New staff, obviously, you know, had came in late there. So, kind of, what, what were your thoughts on him going to Oregon? As Christian made the point, all you Washington fans are. are saying, Washington fans are saying, "Oh, nil." And I, Christian's point, like, so what? I mean, if you want to, if you want to be with the, play with the big boys, you got to compete. Yeah, I mean, we have to get used to this, man, because there's like we don't know what nil situation there is. It's all speculation. I don't know what they offered him or what they said he was going to get or what Nike's prepared to do. I I don't know. Right. So like if if the extent of your analysis as a Washington fan is well he got paid more. Well, it's not our fault. It's just like okay and, and enjoy getting dumped for the next ten years. Like it's like that cannot be the response to everything all the time. The important thing isn't why he went to Oregon. The important thing is is why did he not go to Washington and why did he not go to USC? Because that means if if you think it's an NIL thing. And you're more than welcome to think that, then you should be concerned that your program doesn't have an NIL situation in place that's attractive because that's the new world of college football, whether you like it or not. And if you're getting beaten by it, then you need to figure out a way to not get beaten by it again. So however you want to spin it, this is within the realm of the rules now. Okay, so it's fair. It's legal. And Oregon did it better than you. So that to me is what I would focus on, not not making excuses as to why, because a few years ago when Washington lost two out of the three top uh, 30 players of five-star prospects that were in the Seattle or general Seattle area, there was another excuse. And it's like, if you want to be an excuse person, that's fine, but enjoy watching your team get its ass kicked. So like, I don't know like what to say to people. And like, to me, I think it's more interesting because he was never going to Washington. Like I know that there were they, times they, where they seemed- made a late push that they hired, you know, he, cause Michigan was as high in his list. And when Washington hired Courtney Morgan, from Michigan as its director of player personnel, Washington did make a push. And, you know, Christian thinks that there was a time there where they were, they were in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not trying to, to belittle the, the, do you want to uh, tell, tell uh, what you texted me about Washington the other day? Yeah. Maybe you should just wrap up the program and just try <laughs> something else. I think it was a little extreme though. Yeah. You know, I was joking, I but know. like, I, I feel like, uh, Adding a person into your recruiting department 
that has a good relationship with players and has a inherent connection is a positive, but nobody's committing to your favorite school because they like your recruiting coordinator. So it's about money now. It's about NFL. It's about competing at the highest level and all the things that we talk about a million times a week on this podcast. So like to me, like Washington is a secondary issue to this. It's like, yeah, that's embarrassing, but it's been embarrassing. So until they figure their shit out over there, like it's like, I don't even know if there's anything left to say about it when it comes to USC. That's the thing that scares me more than anything, because yeah. USC is supposed to like if you I bet a thousand dollars with Andy Staples that USC would make the playoff within the next three years. And I got really hot on a podcast and I made a very <laughs> large bet uh, for something kind of stupid. And the good news is I've got three years to save up. But. My understanding of what USC was going to be as the dominant Death Star force of the Pac-12 that was going to take up all the best players in Southern California and was going to go national and be a sexy destination for West Coast and Texas prospects and maybe even Florida prospects to go live in L.A. and play for a fun coach and they were going to own the Pac-12 and rock shit every week. And that hasn't happened uh, yet because they haven't played a game, but like Josh Connerly was the exact type of player that I thought USC would be in the mix for that they weren't in the mix for during the Clay Helton era. And they had a few good classes during the Clay Helton era where they did really well in California. So I don't want to take that away from him. But USC becoming anything remotely resembling what they were under the Pete Carroll years uh, is going to need to recruit nationally at some point. So when I saw the crystal balls, all the Mario crystal balls come in, yeah, and you know it looked like USC was very much trending, you know, uh, my anticipation was that they were going to get their first five-star prospect at the offensive line position in like, years and the player that Andy said they got was actually an offensive guard. So it's been even longer um, since they've signed a five-star offense tackle. So my question is, is if you think it's NIL and you're more than welcome to do that, as I've said, then what the hell's going on in, in Hollywood? You know what I mean? What's going on in LA? Because this needs to get ironed out too. Cause it's like, it's like if that's the thing that Oregon's doing better than you, then it's concerning to me, a person who bet a thousand dollars on USC <laughs> making the playoff in the next three years, that their NIL isn't in a position to beat Oregon's. Because it's if no- it's not, then what are we doing? Then then they're not going to recruit the way that I thought they were when I made that bet, and I'm thus I'm probably going to lose. It's no surprise that Oregon has is doing what it's doing, or we think it can do in the NIL game with with Nike and all that. It's very surprising. If USC is not doing it or not able to do it, I, yeah, I and hopefully it's, it's temporary because I do think that uh, you know everybody's going to figure it out. Right, like we're still less than a year into it, so right. like Connerly's a 2022 kid. Like for 2023 kids, if fans are freaking out, schools have all summer. They've got many, many months to figure things out, and some kids might go ahead and commit to other schools because school X isn't in position to do that now. But I think the schools, many schools, will figure it out. Now, one school, I don't want to, we can talk about this next week. I want to tease. You wrote an interesting story that's going to be published um, today because the public, this podcast comes live Thursday. So the story will be uh, uh, published Thursday about an NIL collective, sort of how the other half lives. Not, not an $8 million quarterback. It's at Wake Forest called the Top Hat Collective. And I just found it interesting that, you know, there's a quote in there. This is what NIL collectives or NIL is supposed to be all about. It's more about enhancing the current student athletes' experiences. So again, don't give away too much of your story. It's it's we want everyone to read it, but I found it very interesting. I do too. I hope people like it. I I'm afraid that people are and like and if you have an opinion, tweet at us because I'd like to know. But like I think there is going to be a point in time, and maybe that point is uh, in a year, or maybe the point has already passed. We're still trying to figure that out where people are going to sour on discussing collectives because it's new and it's exciting and whatever. But at a certain point, it's not going to be interesting anymore. So I tried really hard to do something different because everybody, when they're talking about collectives is discussing how much money people are going to get paid and all that stuff. And it's like, wait, force is doing something a little bit different. And I think it's kind of cool. So, um, you know, by the time you're listening to this podcast or, you know, depending on what day it is, we're, we're talking on Wednesday and the story's going up on Thursday, I encourage you to go read it because it kind of gives you a secondary look on what good NIL can do too. Because if it's done in the way that it was intended, then you're giving, you know, current athletes on the team rewards and and financial benefit for being loyal employees of the program. And if you don't like the word employee, then you don't know what it takes to be a high school, I mean, a, a college athlete at this level. So, 
Um, yeah, check it out. And I, ex- I appreciate the plug, Mitch, and uh, I'm hoping it does pretty well. But I'm very curious and cautiously optimistic because I'm not sure if people care anymore. Yeah, like I think it's great that like a random defensive lineman at Wake Forest who when he signed with Wake three or four years ago, the thought of earning money while playing college football was just so far, you know, he wasn't thinking about it. If he can earn $500 by going to some event and meeting some Wake Forest fans, that's great. That's good for him. It's good for everybody. So um, that's kind of what, what the plan is there. Uh, a few mailbag questions. You ready? Sure. Let's do it. I've got a podcast with Bill in 20 minutes, so let's hurry this up. Okay. Um, I just said that to bother you. Actually, take your time. No, it's okay. I respect I, your time. I, mean, I like to needle you a little bit sometimes I if know, you haven't noticed. It's quite all right. It's quite all right. Um, Eric D., is there any correlation between success in other sports leading to success in recruiting football? For example, does the success of a school's basketball program positively or negatively impact the success of a school's football program? I'll say... Not that much, but it can influence some impressionable kids. Like going back when all official visits were like in November and December and January, that's not the case anymore because so many official visits are in the spring and the summer. You get a kid on campus, he goes to a basketball game, a league basketball game in January, and there's 15,000 people there and the student section's packed. That's going to, they're going to enjoy their visit a lot more. If, if a coach of a struggling football program can point to another sport at that school and say, hey, look look what this team's done. This coach has been there for five years. They're winning championships. Here's the blueprint. Here's how I'm going to do it. I think he can help. How many kids ultimately decide based on that? Probably not that many, but I'd say successful programs in other sports definitely can hurt and in some cases will help. Yeah, Um Duke isn't recruiting highly in basketball. I mean, in football because of their basketball program. I think that right, that's an extreme example. The only thing, but the only thing that I, I mean, honestly, it's cool for official visits. Yeah. Um, you know, and and being able to go. What I think it is is brand awareness. It's like people see North Carolina's logo everywhere because uh, their basketball program. They yeah. got great uniforms. Michael Jordan played there or whatever. It's like North Carolina's football team's brand is more visible nationally as a result of the existence of the basketball team. Now, does that mean that it's going to pay major dividends for the football program? Maybe, I guess, if you have a, a highly rated prospect who's coming in in the middle of November and they want to go to a game and they want to see uh, you know, everything that that basketball school has to offer, but I don't know if it's something that I would be like, well, I feel really good about my football program because it's at a basketball school. Like if you, what are the biggest basketball schools in the country right now? Like is, Duke, is Arizona North getting Carolina, commits? Arizona? Is no Arizona getting commits Arizona. because because they're going to the McHale Center on a you know a, I was going to say a cold January day, but that doesn't exist in Tucson. Um, so yeah, like I said, it, it it doesn't hurt. It's better for you know other sports to be good at your school, but Duke basketball managed to recruit good players with a crappy football program and vice versa they're not recruiting good football players because they have a good basketball program so just thought it was a good yeah. question um all right you answered this in the mailbag but i thought it was really it was a good question and a good answer um i got a lot of compliments your way today ari yeah thank you man i appreciate i could use them i'm, I'm kind of stressed out over here i know i won't talk about missouri story or anything i'll just compliment you for the, your mailbag um, yeah and this baseball game i'm sweating right now yeah what's the score uh, three nothing in the bottom of the fourth, and there's runners on the corners with no outs. So we're we're if you, uh, if you groan, I'll just I'll know what happened. Okay, I'm on the under first uh, five <laughs> innings in this game, which I didn't even runs. know you it's could three do three nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got a lot to learn, bud. <laughs> I know, Dan K. It's kind of a long question, but in the recent article in the Athletic on West Virginia, very good story by Alan Taylor, our Florida writer who used to cover West Virginia. Uh, it's speculated that the local recruiting base might have been turned off by having road games so far from home. Nebraska's ability to recruit in Texas was hurt by its departure to the Big Ten for the same reason. Do you see this being an issue for Cincinnati and especially UCF in the new Big 12, considering those schools will mostly be playing games far from their normal recruiting base? For reference, in 2022, Cincinnati would have had the fifth-ranked class in the new Big 12, and UCF would have been ninth. I thought you had a really smart answer. Why don't you take it from there? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's really, really hard because I have like a I have an understanding and a sympathy for programs that are uh, mismatched in their conference footprint geographically. So like Nebraska and and West Virginia are the two most extreme examples. But like Nebraska is still kind of close to Iowa. Like they're not. I think that Nebraska is not really that mismatch. It's just yeah, the tradition. It's, just, it's a different the, direction. Right. Yeah. Um, the idea 
that they um so the question is like Cincinnati going to the Big 12 going to hurt their their chances at recruiting because they're going to be playing a lot of games with teams in Texas and Oklahoma and stuff. It's like, okay, well, if you think about who they're playing against right now, it's not like Tulane is any closer. You know, UCF isn't closer. I mean, the American Conference is a pretty national, probably the most national conference in the world, or I mean, in the country for, right. for football, right? So like Memphis and UCF and Tulane and Tulsa. Even Temple. Like, you like, you, you mentioned yeah. Temple, and I went on... I Googled it to see how far, far Cincinnati is from Philadelphia. It's it is nine very hour far. drive. Yeah. 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 Um, so like my understanding of what's going to happen at Tennessee or at Cincinnati as a result of this means that I think that they're going to be in a more advantageous position to be in a more prestigious conference. Um, their geographical footprint in terms of recruiting is never going to change because they're still focusing on Ohio and in the Midwest. And I know they've dipped down into Florida a little bit, but Cincinnati is good because they get the leftovers in Ohio, not because they're recruiting Tulsa. So, like, to me, I don't think it's a big deal. Um, I do wonder, like, if you put West Virginia in the ACC, do you think they would be a better football program? Like, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Like, if, if I do, if I think Nebraska decided if decide if Nebraska decided to go back to the Big 12 after this expansion, would they be a better football program? Like, I think that there is a certain element of probably like like if you if you really think about like, could Nebraska more effectively recruit Dallas if they played in the Big 12? I think the answer is probably the, yes. But like the 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 amount of change that would need to happen to occur to make your team feel a lot different than they currently are, I think, requires more than a geographical shift of your conference footprint because proximity to the players is far more important than proximity to your opponents. I would and like say West Virginia looking, is in the middle of nowhere right now in both their conference because you have to fly three hours to get to your nearest away game, and also there's no players in West Virginia at all. I'll say you know looking at the history of West Virginia and. Coaching matters a lot, but they were good when they were in the Big East Conference and pre-Big East when they were playing teams like Rutgers, Boston College, Penn State, Pitt. They were playing all those regional teams in the East, and that's when they were good. So I think there is evidence to suggest that they they would be better if they were, you know, playing teams closer by. So uh, we will never know, though. Although today West Virginia and Pitt um, signed on four more years to the backyard brawl, so they'll be playing. They're, play, they're opening up this year, 2022, but this added on to the end, 2029 through 2032. So I know you're excited about that, Ari. Yeah, I am. Huge. I think that's Penn, a, Penn State should play every year. That, that's I a great nickname for a rivalry, though. I will say that Morgantown's very underrated. Like, when I went there, I thought it was awesome. Never been. Driven, I went to a basketball game there once, and the, the stadium was – I mean, the arena was great. Yeah, they've got a cool looks on TV. You know, my uh, I graduated high school in 1989, the year that – with Major Harris – you're that much older than me? Yeah, I'm 50. We've been over this. So they Damn. played for the national championship the year I graduated high school. And so it was like the cool school to go to. More kids from my high school went to West Virginia in New, from New Jersey than any other school. Just because, Interesting. Yeah. So obviously being good at sports helps. All right. Ready for a little trivia? I'll get you off to go uh, record with... Uh, <laughs> you okay there? <laughs> Some runs scored? One... Just one. <laughs> oh, one more from losing now. And Scherzer's oh, okay. on the mound. You can't, you know. Okay. Anyway, I'll let you know by the end of the podcast if I lost because we're, we're getting to the end here. Okay. Ready for the trivia question? I am so ready for the trivia question, bud. Okay. I think it's a good one. The modern era of recruiting, 2002 on, who were the top ranked players at each position? And I'm going like defensive lines, one position, offensive lines, one position. Do you think I could get that? Like, how could I possibly get that? I, I think you get some of them. I mean, I think Quinn what Ewers kind of is the quarterback is answer, right? What kind of attitude is that? I mean, it's a very hard question because like... It's the, not Quinn Ewers. He actually... I mean, could, he dipped below. Have, it, he, he dipped what do you below. mean? He's no how longer could it perfect. Not be? He's no longer a perfect rating. So was it Cam Newton? Cam Newton. Or Vince Young? Vince Young. Sorry, I meant to say Vince Young. Okay. Cam Newton came out. Okay. Um, Running back. Oh, my God. I have no idea. This is impossible. Okay. You want me to give some, some hints? Was it Joe McKnight? Yes. Did you? Are you cheating? How could I possibly look that up that fast? Well, I, I mean, it's, it's Is actually, there a list that shows the top-rated player by position, or do you go class by You can class? go to 247 Composite in the list of all-time recruits, so you can scroll down. But I know Joe McKnight was a five-star running yeah, back that everybody Orleans, wanted. And I think that's say. where we're going to end because I have no idea. Like, okay. Offensive line. There's a tie. 
They both went I have to no Al- idea. Both went to Alabama. Alex Leatherwood. Evan Neal. Cyrus Carnjo in 2011 and Andrew uh, Andre Smith in 2006. Okay. Wide receiver. Uh, Doriel being Green Beckham. Very good. Because I knew he was the number one overall player. Defensive line, there's there's a three-way tie. There's a three-way tie. They all had perfect scores, I think. Corey Foreman. No. Perfect scores. Oh, uh, Jadavion Clowney? Yes. Okay, got it. I, that's, I, I got that right. Tie. There's t- three of them. So tell me the other two. I already won. <laughs> Rashawn Gary and Robert, oh, Rashawn Gary. Robert Kandiche. Okay. Linebacker. No idea. Another perfect score. Went to Florida State. Played for the Lions. Ernie Sims. Ernie Sims. Safety. Went to Florida State. I think still plays for the Chargers. Um, I know that when you say them, they're obvious. Derwin James. Derwin James. Okay, now cornerback. A little bit of a trick question because he played wide receiver in college. Close to your heart. I mean, can you like give me a year? 2004, attended the Ohio no State idea. University. Ted oh, Ginn Jr. Ohio State? Ted Ginn Jr. Didn't he play Ted wide receiver? Ted Ginn Jr. was the highest rated receiver in the history of... No, of- corner. Oh. He, I guess he was evaluated as a corner. Oh. Uh, so... The, I should have known that, but I... Yeah, that's interesting. The highest... Okay. I, I, removing Ted Ginn from the equation, the highest cornerback who actually played cornerback in college is Iman Marshall from USC, 2015. Okay. And then the highest rated athlete... What year? Let me try to get 2014. It. The highest rated athlete. Um, athlete. 14? Yeah. I think I know this. Okay. Is it Jabril Peppers? It is. Yeah. You did a lot better than you thought you would. Yeah. I mean, you some of those were embarrassing. Attitude, like, you entered yeah, this with yeah. a bad attitude. Yeah. That was actually, I mean, I guess sometimes the rankings are wonky at the top. You know how it is. It's just like, well, Quinn Ewers isn't perfect anymore. Okay. Well, then I'm wrong. Like, yeah. I don't know. I know, yeah, I guess I did better than I thought I would, but like that's a really hard question. Especially because when you start getting into like 20, 20, 2003 before the yeah. rankings were even refined. But yeah, I forgot that Ginn was a cornerback. That's a, that's a that's a tricky one. Yeah, so. All right, good stuff. He would have been a not nearly as good of a corner, by the way, as a receiver. Like he was born and put on earth to play receiver. So the funniest thing in the world to me is that he was a corner. How's the background? Wow. I thought that was one of our better shows. Yeah, it was good. It was a good one. It was fun. Yeah, because there was like sometimes I feel like we we can get a little bad clunky. about previous shows. Okay, our shows are perfect. Like when you have multiple Every- kids, you got to talk positively about all your kids. You, you love them all the same. Yeah, we're just we're just taking it one day at a time. Okay, yeah. uh, Mitch, thanks so much for being an incredible host. <laughs> I thought I would give you a, a nice little compliment thank back, you. and thank you so much for being so prudent in editing my stories this week and. Really, really thank you for helping me potentially get a push on one of the stories that I particularly don't want to do uh, before I get married. Um, to everybody who has been supporting Stars Matter uh, week in and week out, we appreciate you so much. If that was your first time listening, hopefully you liked what you heard and you continue to stay on. Um, we're very excited about the the future of the of the podcast and all the things that are coming on. And you know, talking about recruiting is just a lot of fun. So, so for for Mitch, I'm Ari. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and that was Stars Matter. 